Welcome to Song and Plants. My name is Carmen Porter. This episode is the second part of a two-part conversation with Frank Morton of Wild Garden Seed Company. His passion as a seedsman is contagious, and his botanical observations are deeply insightful. Varieties of leaf crops and flowers that he's developed have been grown all over the world. In this episode, we discussed Atriplex hortensis, auric. It's a tasty plant and the last featured species in my Amaranthaceae family tune. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I have a question. On your website, you also have quite a bit of auric, which is another, it's a plant also in the Amaranthaceae family. What was your experience with auric? I love that plant. I acquired that plant at almost the very same time that I acquired quinoa when I was looking for every edible leaf on the planet, I got a kind that was, uh, well, it was, it was red or rock. It was called red or rock. They sold two kinds. It was red and green. And later I found a gold, which was quite beautiful. The red and the green had, uh, variations in them that I could select from. And out of the red one, I selected something that was a deeper shade of purple. At first, I called it double purple. And then eventually, I called it triple purple (laughs) as I kept working (laughs) on it. But in the process of selecting that out, some of the things that came out of that were these greens that were very nice. And I selected one that I call green velvet because it has the leaf has a very velvety look to it it's not soft and hairy like velvet but just the color of it it has such depth so i selected a red and a green i found a gold and a friend of mine told me that there was a uh, it was magenta a magenta type that was being grown in montana and he got me some seeds of that so at that point i had four colors That magenta one, I am not really quite sure where that came from, but it was being grown as an heirloom on a family farm. Some varieties of auric have a toothiness on the edge. Mine doesn't have this, but I've seen other varieties that have a toothiness that looks almost identical to quinoa. And the flavor of the leaf is very reminiscent of quinoa. But the leaves are huge on an auric. A a mature auric leaf is about the size of my hand. Whereas a mature quinoa leaf is maybe half the length of my hand at the most. When you look at the seeds of the two, the seeds sure do look similar. They are the shape of a coin. The embryo is wrapped around the outside. But the difference is, is that in auric, each seed has a wrapper around it. Each individual seed has two papery bracts that hold that seed between them. And getting those papery bracts off efficiently is not an easy thing to do. However, as it turns out, this was news to me, but I learned it at the 2014 Kenya Conference. 
Boric, quinoa, and the plant that I mentioned earlier, wasantle, those three plants are the very same plant. They started as one species that looked a lot like the wasantle, which looks a lot like lamb's quarter. An event occurred at some point that doubled the chromosome number and gave us the plant that we now call quinoa. Wazantle has two sets of chromosomes. Quinoa has four sets of chromosomes. Auric is the very same plant with six sets of chromosomes. Oh, wow. Auric is a 6X version of quinoa and wazantle. Huh. The nutritional profile of auric seed is identical to the nutritional profile of a quinoa seed. This means that you should, in theory, <laughs> be able to cross auric and quinoa to make a quinoa that has seeds that are, oh, I don't know, more than an eighth of an inch across. They are completely different in terms of the taxonomy. They're different genus. Absolutely. Isn't oh, wow. that interesting? Yeah. And that's because they they look so different. You know, everything about them looks different. Of course, they, they should belong in a different genus. It was only once we got the technology to actually see the chromosomes. Wow. That they could tell that the chromosomes of those three plants are identical. <laughs> they look exactly the same. Except, you know, this is polyploidy. This happens all the time. Our wheat is a polyploid of wild wheat, right? Yeah. Our, a lot of our melons are polyploids of wild melon types. Our tobacco is a polyploid of wild tobacco. Our tomatoes are polyploids. Our onions are polyploids, right? So polyploidy in and of itself is not unusual. But this is the only case that I know of, the only case that it's been pointed out to me, I should say, that they all started as the same plant with the same chromosomes. But then you have these polyploidy events that were caused by some environmental event, a chromosome doubling, you know, to make quinoa, and then the addition of another set of chromosomes to make auric. So imagine that this all occurred on Pangaea when the continents were all one. And this species was found in, in one place originally. But then these polyploidy events occurred after the continents split apart. So now you've got one species arising in what we now call Mexico, and that's the original 2X version. And then another species is arising in South America that's 4X. And then another one is arising in Europe that is 6X, and that's Auric. So it's a combination wow. of evolution by chromosome number increases plus <laughs> a continental drift separating those species or those, those polyploids from one another so that they could become their own species evolving in their own environments, which were all different. And so that's why auric looks so different than quinoa, because 
it actually evolved on a different continent after this event occurred. Then also, the quinoa did undergo changes due to domestication. Like you were saying, the seed head is so compact because of domestication, whereas auric wasn't being selected for that. Yes. And auric was never selected for for its seeds because part of the outcome of its evolution, all of its seeds began to be packaged together. So it did not make a good grain crop. There's not an easy way to process auric for its seed. Wow. Because the seed head is not, you know, <laughs> the seeds don't fall readily out of it. But yeah. I can imagine, you know, if anybody really cares about auric, we could breed auric that doesn't have bracts on the seeds. I'm sure people are trying to do this. I don't have any doubt about it. In fact, there's two researchers at Brigham Young University. Uh, They're the ones who told me this. And they have been actively trying to create mutations in auric to get rid of those papery bracts and to try to create an auric plant that grows more like a quinoa. Now, you know, these two researchers don't have generations and generations and generations of community backing them up. So if they can't complete this in their puny lifetimes, it might not happen. <laughs> you know, whereas something like quinoa, you know, that didn't happen. Quinoa did not happen in any one generation. Quinoa happened over many, many generations of plant growth and human interaction and selection. So in talking about cultivars and selections and varieties, what are some of the auric and quinoa varieties that you have available? At this point, I have six aurics available. One of them is a mix I call Aurora. Then there's the golden. It's Golden strikes me as the most domesticated form of the auric that I've grown. I say that because... Well, one of the interesting things about auric is it actually makes two kinds of seeds. Have you grown auric to seed? I have. So did you notice that there are two kinds of seeds? I did not. One of them is a large tan seed. The other is a small black seed. Did you see that? I actually was growing it entirely for the leaf. And when it would go to seed, I would let it just self-seed. And I did not investigate. So I'm absolutely going to have to do that. (laughs) Okay, check it out. (laughs) When you grow grow auric, you'll see that inside that papery bract, the ones that are toward the top of the plant, especially, and the bracts that are the largest, when you open the bract, you'll see inside is a tan seed. It could be as large as a, I don't know, an eighth of an inch across or so, down to um, half that size. But if you look toward the lower part of the plant or the lower part of any of the panicles, you'll see that there are smaller bracts. And when you open the small bracts, they have a small black seed inside that just looks like a lamb's quarter seed. It has a black seed coat on it. And so what strikes me about that is here is a plant that is producing two kinds of seeds. One of them looks like a domesticated seed with no seed coat. The other one looks like a wild seed with a hard black seed coat. Wow. 
Wow. If you plant each of those seeds in a flat, the tan one with no seed coat will sprout as readily as a lettuce. It'll, it'll germinate a root in three days. If you plant the black one, it will sit there for a minimum of two weeks. Uh, you might never see it germinate because until that black seed coat is scratched or damaged in some way, water can't get into the seed. So auric is covering, <laughs> evolutionarily speaking, it has all the bases covered. If it drops its seeds in a place where it's good to grow, as you have seen yourself, it will self-seed. <laughs> A lot of those self-seedings uh, that happen right away are the tan seeds. The black seeds won't germinate till the following spring. Or if they are eaten by a bird, and goldfinches actually like these. I see goldfinches on auric plants, and they are eating the small black seeds. Yeah. Uh, some of which do not have a papery coating on them, I should point out. Some of them are just exposed on the plant just a black seed hanging out there and the goldfinches eat those. Well, some of those get pooped out by the goldfinches and then they germinate wherever the goldfinch drops them. Right? Yeah. So the auric is covering two bases. The fast germinating seeds are going to grab the ground right where the mother plant grew. The black seeds are going to take the ground either, you know, years later in the same location or after a bird carries them off. If a bird eats the, the tan ones, that seed is dead. They're going to digest it. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Oh, so, neat. Anyway, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, and I don't know another plant that does this, actually. And uh, you shouldn't be embarrassed. I have met very few people who know that the plant makes two kinds of seeds. <laughs> when I look it up, Sometimes in, in uh, taxonomies and whatnot, it will not mention that fact, which makes me really wonder. Anyway, uh, back to these auric varieties. The golden auric is about 95% tan seed and only about 5% black seed. Whereas the other colors can be as much as 60% black seed and 40% tan seed. Interesting. Uh, in fact, every kind seems to have its own ratio of tan to black seeds. And I've tried to figure out if there's any environmental thing that shifts it from more tan to more black. And I, I can't figure it out. Like I thought maybe, maybe if it's well watered, you know, and has a lot of nitrogen and grows in a rich location, it will make more tan seeds. Because those are to basically take advantage of the local environment. I hypothesize. I didn't see that happen. <laughs> On the other hand, when I see them growing un under difficult circumstances, they sure make a lot of black seeds when they're stressed for water or if the plant's not that big. A large percentage of the seeds will be black, as if the plant is anticipating, you know, this isn't the best place. <laughs> or this isn't the best year, something like that. Anyway, the other varieties are, they taste the same. They yield the same as the gold. I made one of my own uh, called Ruby Gold. That is, um, it's a cross between magenta and the golden kind. And so 
the gold leaves will have a sort of a pinkish blush to them and the seed heads will well, there'll be a mixture of golds and reds in the seed heads Oryx seed heads are being used these days in flower arrangements so i found some success with ruby gold being used by flower growers as a cut flower item which is <laughs> kind of interesting i mostly use auric as a salad green so all the different colors they really brighten up a salad. The pigments that are in this family, Kenopodium and Atriplex, the colors are very bright. They're, they're related to the same colors that we find in beets. Beets also come in dark purple, bright pink, uh, golden, which is the same color range as we see in Auric. As And you see the same range of colors in Kenopodium. So those pigments are all related to each other, clearly, yeah. which is kind of cool. Very cool. But looking at the quinoa lists, the differences in them, you know, I talked about some of the distinctions. Seed color can be from white to sort of a buff brown to a nut brown. I've got one that has dark, rich red seeds. I have one of them where the seeds are called Keslala multicolor, where... The seeds of each plant are a different color, ranging oh, wow. from black seeds, red seeds, yellow seeds, brown seeds, and white seeds, all coming out of one variety. And in the Kaslala, the seeds are a little larger than they are uh, in some of the other kinds. Most of mine have seeds that are just a, around the same size, you know. One of them is distinctly smaller. That would be the B.O.B.O. And that's actually a variety out of Chile. It has okay. small white seeds. Generally, people want larger seeds. And so I've selected for those uh, the Cass Red, Cass White, Cass Lala Multicolor. Those have larger seeds. In my experience, in my location, the yield is not as good as on the other varieties. Okay. The smaller seeds. In fact, B.O.B.O., it yields heavily, but the seeds are relatively small. I have one there that has, I call it fingerhead, because the shape of the seed head is different than in the others. And I've seen varieties of quinoa from South America that have this trait. Each of the... The little branches that are that make up the panicles, they sort of spread and stick out like um, similar to dreadlocks, you might say, but not that long. I call them finger heads because they the heads look like their fingers sticking out of them. And the the flower arrangers are taken by that. <laughs> yeah. It's a distinct look. The Dutch actually have looked at quinoa as a flower as a cut flower item. Uh, if you cut them before the seeds form while the panicle is very bright, uh, they do actually make a pretty nice cut flower. We have sent quinoa seeds all over the world to Pakistan, Iran, Russia, Slovenia, every country in Europe, Malawi, uh, South Africa. I mean, <laughs> the list just goes on and on. 41 different countries we sent quinoa to in one year. <laughs> wow. Uh, and 
you know, Nepal. I mean, imagine quinoa in Nepal. That could change the nutritional history of that country, you know. So I think that quinoa has just huge potential to feed people in some of the more difficult climates on the planet. Quinoa is so friendly. Thanks for listening. I highly recommend checking out Frank's seed selections at wildgardenseed.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments, or you just want to connect, head over to carmenporter.com.